Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Enjoying the podcast? Let us know. Send a recording or written testimonial to podcast at cbeinternational.org of why Mutuality Matters matters to you, and we may feature you on an upcoming episode. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome. You are listening to CBE's podcast, Mutuality Matters, the global impact of egalitarian theology on human flourishing. My co-host, Kim Dixon, and myself, we are honored to introduce our guest to you today, Deborah Osio, who is really such a gifted and experienced organizational leader in the development space. She has worked with USAID and she oversees and partners with CBE's African partners in the Eastern part of that region. Deborah represents CBE actively and looks for opportunities to expand CBE's social impact with new partners in the region. Deborah holds workshops to train pastors. She gives reproductive health talks to build girls' agency as made in the image of God and to provide the biblical basis for psychosocial support to women in refugee camps. And she conducts male allyship companionship classes as they too can become biblically inspired change agents to advocate with other men to end injustices uh, girls and women. So welcome, Deborah. Thank you, Mimi. I'm so excited to be here today. And it is nice gaining you. It is so great to have you, Deborah. And I am so excited. This is Kim here. So excited to get to hear a bit of your story. Um, I have known that you've been doing work uh, that CBE has been a part of for a while, but a lot of our listeners have not heard about it or they don't know understand it very well. So I was wondering um, if you could go into a little more details about what you do and some of the challenges that you see both men and women facing. Thank you very much, Kim. Um, like you've introduced me, my name is Deborah Sio. I, I like calling myself as a faith-inspired change agent in that I was introduced to CBE in 2014 by Reverend Dominic from Kenya. Um, and since then, I've participated in so many activities of CBE, and this even includes uh, some of the international conferences that have been conducted. And this has greatly changed and really tremendously changed my perspective about biblical gender equality, 
and especially in Uganda where there's a lot of patriarchy, it has given me to look at things in a different, um, uh, a different lens and appreciate myself as, um, as uh, made in the image of God and wonderfully made specifically as a woman. Um, like you said, um, I oversee uh, CBE activities in the African region, specifically uh, the partners that are uh, um, uh, part of the, 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 the fight against injustices in our society. Uh, we have Efaj uh, in Kenya and uh, Zimbabwe and here in Uganda. And these are a group of amazing people who are doing a lot, a lot of work in changing our cultures, our norms, and the way we do things here. Mm -hmm. um, besides uh, supporting and overseeing uh, those activities, I have also engaged activities myself going out to the community. I like calling myself the village girl. Why do I call myself the village girl? I've seen that much as uh, there's a lot of injustice in urban and semi-urban areas, there's a lot going in the rural uh, settings whereby people don't have access to information, women and Rarely, if not, they are really literate because of some of the cultures that have made women believe that that's what they are. Mm -hmm. And in, when you go out there, you hear them, you see them behave in a way like that's their, that's how they are wired, that's how society, and that's how it should be. So I've encouraged, I've managed to empower women and make them appreciate themselves as made in the image of God, wonderfully made, and uh, being able to unleash their full potential socially, economically, and even politically. Mm -hmm. um, I've also been engaging male champions. So male champions, these are people that I did find in communities and my entry point has been more of really the church. So these are youth and men selected in the society to fight against harmful uh, cultures that we, we have in Uganda. When I talk of Uganda, it's not different from what I see in Kenya what I've seen in Zimbabwe, I've been to Rwanda, and it, it seems we have common uh, harmful cultures and norms. And by engaging these male champions, they've been able to go out there to practice and speak about positive masculinity. And these men have managed to break the stereotypes of male dominance in their homes, in their churches. Uh, there's one pastor, really, is a young pastor that um, 
uh, interested me. He has been working with us since uh, for some time, and now this man can help his wife. Actually, there's a picture that I needed to share. I've not shared it with the team, uh, but I needed to share it. He he. He, he ties the baby on the back, something which is rare here. You know, baby, anything about babies is a woman thing. So when the baby cries, a man can say, your baby is disturbing, especially if it is at night, they say, carry your baby, your baby is making noise. But this pastor personally can get the baby tie on the back and as he does his chores or the wife is doing something. So for me, I feel that is really good. Then there's also economic empowerment. You know, most of the women through abuse because uh, they are not economically empowered because everything you have to go through your husband, uh, all the decisions, women here don't make really decisions, including even decisions that affect themselves like health seeking behaviors. They mm -hmm. have go through their husband. So I've managed to, to train women on financial literacy, basically impacting on them basic skills on how to save, how to start a simple business, as simple as, simple as selling vegetables. And this has changed the mindset of these women. They feel now that they can also um, maybe buy some of the basic things that they need for the family. And this has given them financial independence. And eventually, it has reduced the level of gender-based violence in mm -hmm. families. Um, I've also participated in engaging faith leaders locally here um, as change agents against this cultural norms and cultures and mindset. For example, in Uganda, even in Kenya, we still have FGM, that is genital female mutilation and gender-based violence, things like widow inheritance. You, you can't believe these things are so, so serious here. And you see, when you engage pastors or faith leaders, they have a big following. They, um, their space, they have the space in the pulpit to, to, to speak about some of these harmful um, cultures. And we've seen uh, some, some, some improvement. Um, I've also engaged women and girls on reproductive health. Like I said, some of them, um, can't even maintain hygiene. And it's worse when they're in their menstrual periods, especially school girls. It's hurting to see girls drop out of school because they can't afford menstrual pads. So we've been able to give them reusable pads. And the other thing is positive parenting. Um, we've been helping and talking to parents not to force their girls to for marriages. Um, I've been also participating in side-by-side -side, uh, Uganda chapter activities under the ACT Alliance. Just this week, we've been planning for activities 
for next year where I represented CBE. Uh, let alone participating in 16 days of activism, act, activism which is uh, going on right now against GBV uh, for women and girls. Briefly, in a nutshell, that is what I've been doing. What are some of the challenges? Social barriers, these are cultures. We have deeply rooted cultures which are harmful to mainly women and girls. We also have um, poverty, I talked of poverty. There's high levels of illiteracy whereby most women don't know how to read and write. So at the end of the day, they cannot read the Bible, interpret, internalize it. So they just believe in what they are told. Um, then there are varying church doctrines also as a challenge. I've seen in Uganda some pastors abusing, especially women are big victims, whereby those are some of the challenges that um, we experience here. Thank, Thank you, you, Deborah. Oh, that's just a wonderful summary of the work you're doing. And I'm so captivated by the power of biblical trainings that you've been part of, not only as it compels men to be active in the caring of their families, which <clears throat> including parenting and helping women to stay and girls to stay in school when they have their periods and addressing uh, sexual abuse and harassment. But I, I wondered if you had maybe could summarize in a couple of sentences what you've seen very specifically about the impact of biblical training on the uh, elevation of women's dignity and value in these contexts. You've had so much experience with our partners in East Africa, but what is it about the Bible and the Christian context that really pushes forward this dignity and agency of women. If you could maybe pinpoint in a couple of sentences what that is, what you've observed, that would be so helpful to our listeners. Uh, if I've got you very well, you're talking about uh, how religion has affected the women. How the, how the biblical trainings that our partners are doing Really, I mean, I read about this in the pre and post surveys that we give those who attend. Yes. You know, and just reading those surveys, it's clear that the biblical trainings are very powerful. Now, I'm imagining that it also involves a community prayer, uh, the ongoing engagement of these Christians in the very communities where they learn and worship. But there's something incredibly powerful about the church really zoning in on shining the light on these areas where women have been devalued and exploited and minimized and not given the same opportunities as boys in their communities. Uh, thank you very much. Um... Yes, it, it's very powerful when uh, uh, this scripture are properly interpreted. You know, initially women were believed not to, to, to participate in any of the church activities. But um, once they're educated, 
they are talked to, one about who they are in Christ, how they are also made in the image of God, just like men, how they can also be able to unleash um, their talents, their gifts that God has given them. And you see, when you quote great women in the Bible, and also get energized, they, they, they feel like, wow, I, I also want to be like so-and-so. Um, maybe those who abuse physical abuse uh, sexually, and you encourage them that, you know what, that's not what society thinks. Society is taking you like this. But when we see what Jesus did, Jesus worked with women. Jesus supported ministries of women. And normally I like telling them, no wonder during the resurrection story, it starts with a woman. And you know, they realize that, oh, so a woman is so important that even Jesus Christ had to reveal himself first for, to a woman. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I believe that that is so powerful. And, you know, it makes them feel that um, they are so important before God. And uh, they hear that it's not just something of today. Women, even then, were powerful. They led. Um, sometimes they couldn't do anything without a woman. Talk of the story of Esther, story of uh, Deborah, talk, those great women in the Bible. So um, they get encouraged, they get motivated, they get empowered. They, they like to read the Bible. Unfortunately, in most cases, they can't because they're illiterate. Thank you. You know, I love, that was just beautiful, um, your summary and just the example of seeing these powerful women and who Jesus interacted. I love how you said Jesus walked with the women and that he uh, revealed himself first at the resurrection to a woman and said, now go tell the men, which I just, it's beautiful. The other thing that stands out to me is, um, my background is in public health and and as you talk about literacy um, and you talk about abuse and and violence and female genital mutilation all of these things that are happening you know it reminds me of how god um, created us as whole people and he came to heal uh, all of us every aspect of us and when you think about even literacy that allows the women to read their Bibles, to recognize these great women that you just talked about, um, to recognize when a pastor is abusing something that's not correct in the Bible and to be able to stand up against that. And another thing you just said really quickly was um, economically, just the simple thing of selling vegetables and then the women can take that money and invest it in their children and their family to do better. That's one of the things that stands out a lot in international public health is when you invest in a woman, she invests in her community and her family and everybody flourishes. And when we do that in the name of Jesus, it's just so powerful, so powerful. Indeed. Indeed. 
CBE International presents Women in Scripture and Mission, declaring that it was not good for Adam to be alone. God rescued Adam through the creation of Eve. Scripture often calls God a strong rescue, created in God's image. Scripture also calls Eve a strong rescue in Genesis 2.18. With Adam and Eve's shared spiritual and physical origins, together they shared in caring for creation. Learn more at RadioWomen.org. I was wondering if I could ask you a little bit more about your personal and professional life. Uh, Deborah, were there any pivotal events that have shaped your views on power and gender? Yes, I think uh, I would really go on the social side, not professional. Why am I saying so professional? I've worked with international organizations where uh, they manage flat, as in everybody is uh, honored and respected. But socially, I, I, I want to go back and flash when my dad passed on. My dad passed on so early in the 80s and my father left a will for my sister to be the heir so in my family were more girls than boys uh who were born uh six girls and one two boys wow and, um, in our culture a girl was never to head the house the house a woman it, owned no property, a a, a woman can never be the heir. Now, this is my dad who decided to leave a will that my sister becomes the the heir. You should have seen the anger the clansmen clansmen brought and said, well, (laughs) just a mere girl, uh, come and own all this estate. It can never be, there's never been when a girl inherits the property of the, um, their parents. But I love it. Indeed, and the, we're really living testimony today. So, but my mother stood firm and said, this is what my husband had said. And nobody, whether you all want to leave me and abandon me with my children, my daughter, because my sister was the firstborn. My mother said, this girl is going to be the heir. Cutting the story short, my sister became the best heir. She changed the narrative narrative of a woman not able to run the affairs of the home to the extent that she managed to support the rest of us through school. And I remember... Our home was the first to get iron sheets on top. I'm I'm imagining, Deborah, that the example you just cited about your father and his treatment of his daughters as equals and your elder sister having inherited the, the value that would normally go to a brother had a huge impact on your community, did it not? Yes, please. And, you know, because my mother never accepted to be inherited by any the, any person, my mom brought her single-handedly. And for my mom, whenever she gave roles and responsibilities for us and our brothers, she gave equally. She didn't say this is 
to work for boys, this is work for girls. My mom took all of us to school. She didn't say like other families that only boys go to school, girls stay at home. In fact, for my mom, she first gave us girls school fees first because we didn't have enough. So the boys would be served laughs. My mom held positions in the church. Up to today, my mom is confined on the veranda. She got an accident, but she still has responsibility in charge. She ensured that her voice was heard. My mom participated in almost everything in the church, even men's spaces, mm -hmm. and volunteer, even where men couldn't do maybe mobilization, being a treasurer, areas that women could not reach because women could not handle money. My mm -hmm. mom encouraged to stay at school and work hard, really hard, just like boys. Mm. And, you know, like I said, in our village, they said we we're just going to be married temporarily. And then when the school term ends, we come back home pretending. I remember my first job after I went back to work with Care International near our village. And the first day I went with the care car, everybody in our village came standing along the road and say, wow. So these girls were truly going to school. They were not married. Meanwhile, all my classmates had what? Had married. So my mom has been an inspiring, a person who inspires us. To the extent, recently, my mama, called all of us, and she has given land to build a church because she believes because of God, it, she, she has been able to do more than homes where there are men heading. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I've driven up and down those streets in uh, Bondo and watched the little children wait for the bus and i can just imagine the impact that would have on everyone who went down the main street to see older girls getting on the bus and going to school instead of going off to be married with children of their own it's just a powerful example i almost think it's an image and an example that speaks more loudly than words that's a story in in looking at how your life formed, it's it's now that you're giving us all these powerful stories. In looking at how your life formed, it's no surprise, Deborah, that you've taken on the work that you have done. And it seems like your family played a significant role in shaping the very values you now take on in advance through your work with CDE. True. I'm wondering. It sounds like your family informed you the most, but were there other powerful voices and influences that shape the work you do now? Yeah, Mimi. <laughs> Actually, you are the person I always admire. <gasps> the passion, the knowledge, the involvement, you know, and you know you commit your everything to this ministry and i'm like wow i think i need to be a mimi in uganda <laughs> <laughs> i love that 
are too kind. You are too kind. Well, yes. we had a lot of fun together in Rwanda, did we not? We had such a powerful time together. I was just thinking about see. that. Yes, you're a soulmate, yes. that's for sure. Thank you. Yes. So that kind of leads into my next question is how did your work inform your views on male female power dynamics organizationally um, with all the different nonprofits and NGOs you work with and on the field? Uh, truly, before I got introduced to CBE, I used to know in Uganda, they used to talk about women emancipation and um, to me, it was more of competition, competing men and women, you know. But after being introduced to CBE and appreciating that both men and women are made in the image of God, everything has changed. So I look at um, uh, gender equality now with uh, a gender, a biblical gender perspective lens. So seeing both women and men um, sharing power, authority peacefully in order to fulfill God's purpose is something which is really, really awesome to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's made me change the way I look at things, the way I do things, the way I motivate people to, to do really what, what they do. So the question is, is as Christian faith comes into play and there are better teachings, you spoke about better translations of scripture, it, it sounds to me like that's had a huge impact in growing the confidence of girls and women and seeing some real changes uh, in their lives, in the lives of their communities. Do you have maybe one or two examples that you can share with us, particularly in the groups that you work with through CBE? Yes, there are really a number. I remember I, I talked of the male, the, one of the male champions taking on uh, sharing roles with a wife, but also I've seen women and girls being encouraged to compete for offices in the church, in schools and in community. Here's an example. I went to a rural community uh, by then, we were about to go for elections for uh, political offices at village level. And I remember I encouraged these women that you can also make it. There is nothing that can stop you. And I remember leaving, telling them that I'm looking for, forward to one of you standing, being brave to stand with men, and I will support you. Guess what? These women stood with men to be the chairperson of the local area. The Ooh. next time I, this woman was a local councillor. Here in Uganda, we call it a councillor. Wow. I told yeah. her, girl, next time you are going to the next level, I want you to go to level two, being councillor two, councillor three, and other women now right behind her. And yet initially they couldn't even, um, be behind her and wow yes that is the one unique example i can say thank you that's really powerful really powerful 
That is an amazing example. I love it. And I love that she's leading the way and women are following her. There always needs to be someone who will try it and then it inspires so many others. Hmm. What, yeah. So then what hinders some of the changes as you work towards women's flourishing in their create as they're created in God's image? My observation and experience high levels of literacy among women. In Uganda, most rural women don't know how to read and write. So, and some of these offices require you to know how to read and write. And um, uh, so it hinders them personally besides they, they can't read the Bible. They want to read the Bible, but they can't read because they're illiterate. So most oftentimes they can't meditate, they can't interpret during their free time. Then also uh, deeply rooted cultural beliefs and norms. Preach, they twist the scripture to favor, to favor him. And uh, two months ago, I'd gone to some place and one of the women said, hmm, I wish my husband was here. So the lady was lucky to come for the, for the workshop because the husband got an accident, so he couldn't come. So he delegated her. She's like, I wish my husband was here to hear what you are saying. So that meant that even her as a wife of a pastor, as a priest, a pastor, of a, a wife of a priest goes through abuse and they suffer quietly, silently, because who are you to report a man of God? I mean, in quotes. So yes, those are some of the, the things that are really hindering um, some of our, our efforts down there. Yes. Yeah. So the patriarchy that is just so yes. endemic, the leaders don't know any different and they often can be abusive. And so the women, pastors' wives are just quietly suffering. Yeah. Yes. So from your vantage point, why do some Christian organizations struggle with biblical equality for women? And what do you think that we might be able to do about this? And then, I mean, that leads into why is this an important issue for Christians concerned for justice and human flourishing? Wow, that's a very good question because uh, <laughs> Yes, there's so many faith uh, groups around, but most of them are not flourishing. To me, what I've seen, which is up on the ag agenda, is these leaders themselves are patriarchs. Are patriarchs. Uh, recently, we were even in a side-by-side -side, um, uh, meeting and we we're discussing things. We realized that even within the church, there are people who I want to say cover with the collar, but inside them, they are patriarchs. Mm -hmm. Two, some of them come up, uh, there's no shared vision with all the stakeholders. So it's even hard for people to believe what they're preaching, what they're saying, because people don't know the vision. 
There is also lack of transparency, and this one is very, very serious. There's a lot of corruption even in the church. So uh, to me, I, I really see there should be transparency in the way the church conducts itself. And then uh, lastly, I think some of the church uh, programs or ministries don't involve the right beneficiaries in their interventions. For example, uh, if they, they are going talking about GBV, they, they, they don't involve maybe um, the affected persons. They, are, they still use the wrong approach, the beneficiaries. And what can be done? I think for me, overall, develop transparent and inclusive programs and activities. Yes. I am saying inclusive. Um, many times you find that women are excluded in either decision making, mm. and yet they are going to discuss issues relating to girls and boys. So I think. Um, having them involved right from planning mm. to execution of some of these interventions to me will make a big, big, big oh, difference. Yeah. That is yes. so wise, Deborah. Oh my goodness. That is just a piece of priceless uh, strategy and wisdom, really. It's how God intended it to be since you know, the Garden of Eden, when they shared governance in representing God and God's moral and spiritual presence. Exactly. And that is why it is important for Christians to flourish, because that's all God made us. That's what God wants us to be. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, may your tribe increase. You have done such an amazing job, and we're so glad that your voice is getting out there. We need to have you back again and go in depth in specific projects. I only wish we could have a camera person follow you around as you teach and as you help partner with our uh, many impressive leaders in East Africa. And we thank God for you. And I hope our listeners will be very committed to praying for your work. What a rich interview that was with Deborah. I loved hearing about her work in East Africa, and I look forward to hearing her again sometime in the future, getting to hear about the individual projects that she works for with CBE. And audience, thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned to the new episodes coming to you weekly from our incredible team of co-hosts. In the meantime, go to the show notes and learn how you can follow our guests and find links to organizations, books, and resources mentioned in the interview. We have a new website, and it looks good. So come check it out at www.cbeinternational.org. There you can access the world's largest collection of egalitarian content, watch videos, and listen to audio of past conferences and events. You can subscribe to our blog, magazine, and academic journal. Or visit our bookstore, which contains tons of talented authors and subjects. More new ones seem to be coming out every day, and they will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. I am Kimberly Dixon with Mimi Haddad, and we would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the incredible team at CBE International that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening.
Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.